MFs, welcome back. Hustle like you broke. Recording on September the 3rd, which means two days ago was the Red Alert restart event. And I want to start today, first and foremost, saying thank you to all who participated. Final tally topped 1,500 live event venues and businesses around the U.S. taking place and lighting their buildings red on September 1, highlighting the need, the urgent need for aid to the live event community. We were among the first out of work. We will be among the last back to work. There are many among us who are in serious need of aid. I hope everyone has done their best to pinch their pennies, save their money prior to this coronation. But of course, we know so many did not. And we are thinking about you. We are hopeful for you. And uh, hopefully the government will respond before long. We have seen aid across Australia, Germany, the UK, and elsewhere, and not a fucking penny in the US. Want to give a special thank you to our friends Larry and Beth with the Red Sox, as well as Mitch Bornstein with the Hollywood Park and SoFi Stadium, past guests of ours who immediately stepped up, said they will absolutely help out. They came on board, they did their part. We appreciate them very much. Me personally, I also want to extend a thank you to Dan Murphy and Cassie Epstein with Gillette Stadium, home of my New England Patriots, also stepped up, helped with the cause. I appreciate you. To Bobby Schneider, who had an active voice in uh, the organization and looping me in on this equation, as well as Michael Brokaw, has not been a guest of ours yet, but... Good friend, great advisor, great human. Really appreciate you guys bringing me into the mix on the Red Alert Restart event. That said, the fight is not over. So as a reminder to our listeners, the National Association of Music Merchants has a link which will be posted on the Hustle Like You Broke website. Please visit our resource center. Please click that link. Contact your local representatives through that link. Let them know who you are and what you stand for and why you believe the live event community deserves that aid because we sure could use it. And with that said, we are still caught up in this wild and crazy coronation. It shows no sign of slowing. I woke up to yet another morning of checking out Polestar the touring industry's most prominent trade magazine, which had exactly zero articles yet again today on live events taking place anywhere in the world. Doesn't mean there aren't a live stream here and a drive in there, but apparently nothing that was noteworthy today. Yesterday, there was one, one, the announcement of a virtual farm aid television event coming up late September. I am I mean, I'm grateful to any event that employs people in our business. I hope there will be more, although I hope, of course, that they will be done safely. Meanwhile, our president still a shitbag, fascist wannabe dictator, propping up white, cop, white cops and killers, speaking down to everyone else. I don't even know where to go with this anymore. There's nothing good to say about the situation in Kenosha. Meanwhile, for anyone that doesn't live in Portland, Oregon, and isn't watching the news every day, the fortitude and constitution of these people who are protesting every single day, we're going on what, like 80-some, 90-some days that they protest every day. And it has been lest you've been watching Fox News or any right-wing bullshit fake news media source, it has been largely peaceful with the exception of the far-right nutbags that insist on 
inflaming tensions, making situations worse, and then pointing fingers and blaming others when it gets worse. But again, just like our situation in Kenosha, just like everything else with Dear Leader, who speaks highly of the 17-year-old dumbass who crossed state lines with an illegal firearm and decided that we needed him, someone needed him to protect a gas station and then went running after people with his semi-automatic weapon. I mean, I've seen reports. I read, watched a video, frankly, from a black liberal attorney who broke down exactly why this kid is likely to get off with nothing more than a misdemeanor charge of being a minor in possession of a, of, of a semi-automatic weapon. Because apparently, if you look at the video, what you see is people going after him and him shooting in what looks like self-defense. Except I ask you, if he had that gun, if he didn't have that gun in the first place, if he wasn't there in the per first place, would he have shot and killed anybody? I don't see how. We didn't hear about anybody else getting shot and killed on that particular day during that particular protest. And of course, that somehow in the president's eyes is more important than talking about Jacob Blake. Go figure. And Kyle, I'm going to bring you out because I know you are a believer in open carry. And I know you do go to the range. But I got to say, and I got to ask you, I mean, are these not perfect examples of why there should be more gun control and why, even with the right to carry, there is no reason that people should have access to military-style semi-automatic and automatic weapons? I mean, please, what do you let think? Me, let me correct you, first of all. I'm a new gun owner as of... April of this year. So I'm not really a proponent of all those long guns and all that stuff. I don't really know much about them, but <clears throat> long and short of it is there was a curfew in place. The president is condoning this kid's actions and, and the uh, police chief as well saying he was out there to help stop the mischief. He was, his mother drove him across state lines he doesn't even live in the state. He came out there with intent to kill somebody or intent to cause malice. What he was doing was not heroic. He, I mean, true enough, somebody may have put hands on him for whatever reasons, who knows. But nonetheless, he was still out past curfew like everybody else. So he shouldn't be exempt from any. He was not law enforcement. So he should have had it. He, so he should be facing whatever... Um, whatever um, punishment that should have been given for those who were out past curfew anyway. And on top of that, he was part of the melee too, because he's running down the street with a gun. Somebody's changed. He did something to make somebody want to whoop that ass. He's not this polar, this, this poster kid of humbleness. They had a video of him whooping a girl's ass for some crazy reason. Cause she got in his face. So this kid is obviously, you know, he, he's, he's one of the kids that I equate to the one that you see on, on, um, xbox that i play with my brother that talk all this crazy shit on the internet an internet thug and then he runs out in the streets and get touched and then he wants to pull out a gun and start shooting people and so he needs to get he needs to be punished to the highest extent of the law but he's gonna get caught up in some loophole that's gonna probably let him slide but he he's not a victim here the ones he killed and and the, the person whose arm he damn near shot off those were the victims well you know i agree with all of that Although I'm not sure you answered my question about again, gun control. Well, gun control again. The guns aren't what kill people. It's people who what kill, who kill people, you know. But for I mean, I, I've recently shot some military style guns, and they're you know for for all case and purposes they're exciting to shoot with because you 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 learn a different skill set. But, you know, to say you should not own them, that's like telling a person they can't drive a fast car. 
they should drive a Honda Accord. Why should they have a Lamborghini or, you know, a Bugatti, anything else like that? So it goes with the person who's behind it to handle it correctly. But nonetheless, you know, you can't say that it's the gun's fault. It's the, I mean, hell, a twenty two can kill somebody. So at the end of the day, to, to regulate it like that, say, you know, you don't need to use these weapons, you might as well say that, you know, you don't need to drive a fast car. Don't you have a fast car? I do not. I have an SUV, and I wholeheartedly disagree with equating semi-automatic weapons with high-end luxury, you know, cars. It's not automatic. It's semi-automatic. My handgun is semi-automatic. It can kill you just like a long gun can, but at the end of the day, it's who's handling it. And I'm a and I'm a new gun owner. I'm not one of these avid guys who, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just hey, I want to shoot what I want to shoot, and do what I want to do. But at the end of the day, the gun is not doing this. So it's the person behind, it. and that kid obviously was unstable, and he broke the law. Shit, he's 17. He shouldn't have even had it. Everybody keeps missing that point. No, 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 they don't. I don't think they do. I think you're changing. The president does. Subject. I, I, I hear where you're coming from. Again, we're agreeing on the situation in Kenosha and how fucked that whole thing is. But I stand by the belief that we're not getting rid of cars, but fewer guns means fewer gun-related killings. And if there hadn't nah, been there, I don't agree. then somebody wouldn't have gotten shot. Well, yeah, true. But, I mean, he could have got shot with a handgun. It didn't have to necessarily be uh, uh, a well, hold on, hold on a second. I mean, if you want to talk about the difference between a Honda and a Ferrari, then perhaps this kid wouldn't have been able to afford the semi-automatic weapon he had if it was priced like a Ferrari as opposed to a hunting rifle or whatever. Because the reason that guns, I mean, let's not even go down the reason why guns are even legal in the first place. The reality is it wouldn't be so fucking sexy for these kids to be holding these guns if they didn't have such easy access to these high-powered semi-automatic weapons, which, to, to your point, which you said before, makes them feel like they're playing fucking Fortnite with real people. But the end of the day, he, ha- he was not old enough to even possess that gun. So he's already out of pocket for even having it. Yes, he is, but you're still shifting the argument uh, away no, from it. No, I'm not. Would I be mean, a kid more inclined to have it? Would he been as likely to want to be, you know, the 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 badass gunman that he thinks that he is if he didn't have such easy access to this type of military style weaponry? I honestly think if he had he had access to whatever weapon he got his hands on, and fortunate and unfortunately, his parents probably. Well, his parents must have owned that gun because he could, unless he bought it, which he, and if he bought it, he bought it illegally. Kate, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, you can't blame the gun. The gun didn't pull the trigger. The kid pulled the trigger. Yeah, the same kid whose mother drove him across the state line. Exactly. And, you know, he's, right. he's been breeding this malice and racial yeah. disgustingness. So you can't say it's the gun. It's but, you know, you could also say it's not the kid. I mean, you could make that argument too at this point because, you know, He's a minor. It is definitely the kid. It's his punk ass issues. Sure, I mean, but I mean, you know, again, like somebody in a court of law, like you're saying, is going to p- try to push the argument that he's a minor and that his mother was the one that, you know, blah, 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 and all the bullshit. But I agree with you. You know, he definitely used the weapon and killed people, and it shouldn't have happened. Well, Dallas, welcome to the program. Thank you for your input. I agree. Again, I'm only arguing that I think stricter gun control measures would minimize the killing less. But here's gun- the thing. Stricter, gun, stricter laws don't affect the law-abiding citizens. I mean, don't affect the thugs. It affects the law-abiding citizen. Because the, 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 you have a stricter law and the people who are going to do what they're going to do are going to still figure out a way to get those weapons. Meanwhile, the ones who would have, who would, who would recognize the, the laws and abide by them, get handcuffed and then they, can, and then they get outgunned. So you're still going to have a you're still going to have the guns available. I mean, we could have this argument all day long, and I think that we should just move on. This kid thought he was being a law-abiding citizen. He didn't age, thought shit. Age, he knew he was out of pocket. Age notwithstanding, this kid thought. I mean, all records indicate, all signs indicate, 
he wants to be in law enforcement. That's uh, that's the big joke I've been waiting to tell all along, that this kid wanted to be around law enforcement all his life. Well, heaven forbid the system works uh, the way we think it should work, he will get to be around law enforcement for a very long time. It just won't be as a member. It will be as an incarcerated felon. Well, well also, I mean, I, I think I think listening to this, we, we take the parents out of the equation. Let's think about the parents. His mother drove him across state lines. His parents knew that he had a long gun. He's 17 years old. When does a parent take responsibility? I'll agree with that too. I think that the I, we, I haven't heard anything about a father, and but I, but we keep hearing about the mother was the one who drove him, and I think she absolutely belongs in jail too, hundred percent. And to our listeners out there, you just heard today's guest, who we will be bringing back to the program in just a minute. I'm sorry to report that uh, that was not Brother Banks, and you have not heard his voice, because unfortunately he will not be with us yet again today. I do not begrudge him for having gainful employment during these times. Money calls. It is what it is. I'm happy for him. Unfortunately, uh, I'm sorry for our listeners that they will be missing out on his perspective yet again. Moving on, moving on. I, I just want to say, you know, caught up in this coronacation, I'd really like to believe there's a vaccine coming soon. We're starting to hear reports they might be here in time for this fall. I, I, as early as next month, I wholeheartedly don't believe that that is realistic. I can't imagine the uh, corners that will be cut in order to bring a vaccine to market that thoroughly. Of course, I want, of course, I want to get back to work, but until a vaccine is thoroughly vetted, I mean, we don't know not only whether it's viable, we also don't know the potential long-lasting negative effects and repercussions. Uh, so I just hope it comes soon, but that's what I'm going to say to that. Anybody that's thinking that it's a democratic ploy to keep it down in order to, you know, minimize the votes for Trump, uh, fuck you. That's dumb. Uh, I don't want to hear that shit. Um, I guess I'm just going to move on from that. Uh, but funny enough, I saw this in the news today. <laughs> Just uh, moving to a slightly lighter topic for a moment. As compared to the U.S. public health, health officials who seem wholly incapable of any sort of consistency. And, uh, you know, again, the use of our fascist right-wing party in the U.S. questioning the viability of wearing fucking masks. You know, where we stand, we say wear a fucking mask when you're out in public. But this headline was in the news today. In Canada, there is a leading public health official who's also suggesting that masks be worn under slightly more intimate situations, actually submitting they go so far as to refrain from kissing, said the, quote, lowest risk sexual activity during COVID-19 involves yourself alone. <laughs> and goes on to say this is a fucking headline that made news today goes on to say that if you choose to engage in quote in-person sexual account encounter with another it is best to avoid face-to-face -face contact and closeness and perhaps you should be wearing a mask uh -uh. so they say hit it from the back <laughs> can't make this shit up I think it's fucking hilarious just felt the need to share um, now we talked last week about how you can't run away from this thing evidenced by Usain Bolt testing positive I don't know if anybody else saw it but The Rock has also now tested positive proving you can't be bigger and stronger than this thing. What do you think about that? Well, he's on, he's on the other side of it. 
It, it was him and his whole family, both his daughters and his wife. Correct. Correct. Now, that doesn't stop people in sports from uh, thinking we can still come back from this thing. Outside of the bubble, the NFL season kicks off next week, and by my count, there are only six teams allowing fans, but still six teams that are allowing fans of somewhere between, by my count, a low of 13,000 with your team, Dallas, the Miami Dolphins. And then there are the Browns, Colts, Jags, the Chiefs, and the Dallas Cowboys thinking they can have somewhere around 25%, possibly upwards of the underside of 50%. To me, it's just unconscionable to think that in sports that this makes any kind of sense. I mean, I hope it works. Obviously, I hope it works. If the Cowboys can put 20,000 plus people in their stadium and there aren't huge outbreaks, maybe that gets us back to work sooner than we think. I just don't know. Meanwhile, in the NBA, Kyle, our other favorite sparring topic. Lakers. My C's are up 2-0. Your Lakers are about to face the Houston Rockets. The tired Rockets. They might be tired. First game is tomorrow. By the time we air, most likely next Tuesday, we will be hearing just how tired they were and where things stand. I will say, Kyle, you busted my balls about Dwight Howard a week or so ago. You suggested, I don't remember exactly the words you called him a beast or said something, said he was going off, talked about how fantastic he's performed of late. So I did a little homework. In the first round, he played 18 minutes, scored eight points, six boards, 54% from the free throw line, and 0.2 blocks per game. For a man-child like that, explain to me how those... First of all, you misquoted me. I, I said did? he's been a beast this year in the season. I said... Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. Seven said, points on the season. 7.8 points he averaged this season. Six boards, 51% free throws, 0.8 blocks. Thank you. I did actually look at those stats also. The guy has been a fucking pathetic loser who per usual does not know how to carry his team in any statistical category. He is third on the team in rebounds, third on the team in blocks. Those are where they need him. Am I wrong? Well, what he's doing is he's he first he doesn't start. So the team is not held up by him like Lakers 1.0 version of him when he was supposed to take the Lakers to the finals and he was he showed up to be a bust then. This version of Dwight Howard, he's healthy. He's playing his role. He's a role player now. So when they need him to do X, Y, and Z, he's getting the bucks that he needs in a timely situation. He is the bully on this on the team now. He up there getting hard fouls. He's doing us the little things that need that are catapulting us to the number one seed. So to say Dwight Howard is sucking right now, that's a you you miss you have definitely not understood his role in this in this version of the Laker team for him. Okay, okay. I, I hear I hear you backpedaling a little bit. That's negative. That's, okay. that's not a backpedal. That's a straight up no chaser. I mean, I I would like you to forward me links to show any time in his life that he has acted like a bully because he plays like a big old baby on the court. No, he's not soft anymore. He's definitely not soft. The NBA in a whole is soft now, but he's not. He's playing as manly as you can play right now. Uh huh. Uh huh. Sure, sure. (laughs) Moving on. College football actually starts in the next week, and I'm still blown away by the number of teams that are actually playing college football. There is no bubble in college football. No matter how much they want to take, they're going to do everything they can to protect. We've seen what's happening among any congregation of college students at schools nationwide. To think that the players won't be uh, get caught up in this shit, won't get caught up in college life, to think that the fans won't be tailgating or partying in whatever form or fashion they can, I think that Kyle's other favorite word, spike, is on the horizon again, thanks to college football. 
Go ahead and disagree with me on that, motherfucker. Look, I as, as we all know, I've had someone pass in my family as a result of the COVID. So you and your word spikes and all that. Yeah, I got to, you know, got to give it to you. Well, I am sorry for your loss. I did not mean to bring that up. Thank you for bringing me down. But you no, are right. it's, it's just life, you know. I, I said they were X, Y, and Z, and, you know, it, it's real. I mean, I always knew it was real, but, you know, it's when it hits home, it changed the dynamic a little bit different. It's a little bit different. It's a little different now. Correct. It definitely becomes more real when it hits home. That is, frankly, the Republican mantra to a T. Nothing matters to them until it hits home. And then all of a sudden they start taking it serious, not to imply that you'll like that. But that's just a fact of life. And um, even though they did say Herman Cain didn't that even though Herman Cain did say that it's not as bad as it can be. And it killed him. So. Exactly. And speaking of shit being sideways out in your neck of the woods. I'm actually flying out to Los Angeles myself in two days. By the time we air, I will have been there for three, four days already. And I mean, first of all, a sign of the apocalypse, it's going to be fucking 111 degrees in Los Angeles on Sunday. That is. That means it's 150 in Vegas. That is bizarro world. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when, when years ago, nobody ever talked about it getting to 100 degrees in LA. It just didn't happen. What? In the valley. Are you crazy? Oh, it's crazy. always been a hundred plus in LA since the beginning of time. No. Just say no, no. Just because you on the on your island, as always. Read a book, motherfucker. If you look at houses that were built in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s, some of the wealthiest people in Los Angeles County building the biggest homes did not even bother to air condition their properties because it never got that hot. Yeah, they're tripping. They're full of shit. I lived in California my entire life, and it, ever since the beginning, since 1974, it's always hit 100 degrees at some point in California. And All right. Years ago. Well, a hundred degrees. That, that that's that's jacket weather here in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, I, I I mean, we've heard him a couple of times. I suppose I will bring him out now. Then, uh, our guest for today, born and raised in Oklahoma, Oakland, California, but currently residing, as he just said, in Las Vegas, Nevada. He is the tour manager and production manager for Tony Braxton and Mary J. Blige. He was a musician when he was younger. I am curious about that transition. He has worked with any number of major superstars. If you've been around this business long enough, you probably know who he is as a front of house, as a tour manager, as a production manager. He's been with everyone from Prince to New Edition, to Janet Jackson, to David Lee Roth, stands out a little bit, next to Patty and Gladys and Vanessa Williams, Bobby Brown, and all the rest. Again, you've heard him already, but let's bring him out. Michael Huggy Carter, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, we usually don't go on for so long, but Kyle had to be a little extra feisty and uh, with, with his takes this, uh, this morning. So appreciate your patience. Appreciate you jumping in where you did. It definitely is warm in Vegas. I am sure we understand you are poolside today. So <laughs> anyone that hears a little breeze in the background, that might be why. I'm what sure. Because you live on an island. Oh, please. <laughs> but you know, but that, that was an important conversation that you guys were having though, earlier, you know, and, and I think more people need to be aware of the facts of what happened, you know, in Kenosha um, and, and what they're trying to cover up and hide also. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, we always talk about this podcast, sure, we bring out guests, we talk about their experience, we talk about different sides of the business, we try and impart some knowledge here and there. But at the end of the day, the reason we have 
so much fun. And the reason we keep doing this is because we treat these conversations the same way we treat any conversation sitting in the back of the tour bus. So this is the way we chop it up. This is the way Kyle and me, you know, lay into one another here and there. I, I still disagree with him on the uh, need for stricter gun measures. He can feel free to disagree as a gun nut that he is. Huggy, you can align with him. I don't mind. I don't care. I, I mean, I, I, I am fine with being told where I am right, where I am wrong. Uh, before we jump in on your bio, is there anything else you would like to add? Well, to start with, I am anti-gun. Um, growing up in Oakland, I seen a lot of gun violence. You know, and it's a responsibility that comes with owning a firearm. And if, if you're not responsible enough to understand that when you pull that trigger, that person that you're shooting at, you're ending his dreams. And you also cause causing a nightmare for the people that that person is leaving behind. You know, it's, it's unfortunately, it's not a video game mm -hmm. where you can hit reset. You know, once you pull that trigger, the damage is done. You know, it's, it's like when you was a kid and your mom hit you or slapped you, they say, oh, I'm sorry. The hurt is still there. <laughs> you know, um, you can't bring that hurt back. And so that's the same thing. I think, you know, when you have a gun and you're pulling that trigger, and not understanding the ramifications of what's going to happen gets in the way. Agree, and I suspect that's part of the reason why a 17-year-old kid is not mature enough to make those decisions and why the parent needs to be held accountable for driving the kid to a location with that firearm knowing about that possibility. Well, that parent should be in the cell next to her son. That's where I look at it. I agree. I think we all do. So we appreciate you being with us today, Huggy, as you are known, and we will refer to you hereafter. You are known across the industry as Huggy. I mean, where does that come from first and foremost? Let's hear about it. <laughs> There used to be a television show a long time ago, Starsky and Hutch. Hmm. And there was a character on there, Huggy Bear, who was, a, who was a hustler. And I got the name from Nicholas Caldwell with the Whispers. Because they used to come to me whenever they needed something. I was able to, to get it. And one day he just said, you know, you like Huggy Bear on Starsky and Hutch. And it's stuck ever since. Nice. I like that. I do remember that show. That was quite a ways back, but uh, that's good. Well, you know we're called Hustle Like You Broke. That's who we represent. That's who we are. So I'm sorry it took us this long to get you. That, that sounds perfectly fitting. He was hustling. He wasn't available. <laughs> There's probably some truth in that. I do believe we tried a couple of times, so I'm glad that we finally got you. So, so walk us through your story. You just mentioned Nicholas Caldwell, and I know he was one of the, you know, one of, or I believe from what I've, I've read and seen and what was prepared for me, he was one of your early influences. You were a musician. You were working at a studio, Star Maker. You then get taken under uh, the wing of Nicholas Caldwell, and the rest, as they say, is history. Walk us through some of that. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was a musician, played drums, bass, guitar um, in my earlier days. And one day I figured that I could make more money and work longer on the other side as opposed to being a musician. So that's when I started getting into engineering. Um, got a job at local recording studio, Star Maker. Got a job basically as a janitor there. Um, and I just kept my ears open, eyes open. And you see a lot of sessions, Sly Stone, Larry Graham, Tower Power, all these guys who come through the studio rehearsals and doing demo recordings. And I used to watch the engineer 
And one day I told the engineer, I said, you know, I'm going to have your job in about six months. And he laughed at me. And I actually had his job in about three months. Um, there was a project bass player, Rusty Allen, who was playing with Sly Stone at the time, had a band that was doing some recording. And they left the reel up on the machine one night. And I just sit down and just start playing, playing around with it and mixed the song. And the next day they came in and they heard the mix and they thought it was their normal engineer. And they found out that it wasn't. And from that point forward, I started getting small demo sessions um, and start, started learning the craft. You know, I'm not a really technical person. Um, I mix more by my ear. Um, I started working with a drummer with the Whispers, Kirk Perkins, on some demo stuff. And they had a show at Circle Star Theater in San Carlos. And their front of house engineer missed his flight. So Kirk asked me if I wanted to take a crack at it. And I said, yeah, what the hell, why not? And I went over and mixed the show. The guys were very happy with the whispers. The wives were super happy. And Nicholas asked me that same night, was I interested in going on the road? You know, and I said, well, you know, I'll think about it. He says, well, you got about 20 minutes because the bus is going to be leaving in about an hour and a half. Can you get home and pack a bag? And that's what started my, my touring and my, my road experience. Um, you know, from there, I got bit by that, that tour bug and never wanted to go home. So I mixed the whispers and got introduced to other acts as I was mixing. Um, and it just started opening up. So I mixed for several years and then turned towards the production side of it. So looking through my notes here, it looked like when you were with the Whispers, it was then that you also met your business partner, Alan Thompson. Talk to us about that relationship. Talk to us about the, you know, how that evolved. And, and are you still business partners to this day? No, Alan, Alan passed away a couple of years ago. I'm sorry. Um, Alan was, was also a, a huge influence, you know, in, in, in my growth. Um, I met Alan on a festival. He was um, PM for Patti LaBelle at the time. And, you know, he heard me mixing the show with the Whispers and, you know, they're looking for a front of house guy for Patty. So he approached me and I said, okay, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, went to Philadelphia, rehearsed with Patty. The second day of rehearsals, you know, I mean, Patty, for people who don't know, is a South Philly girl. Um, and she has a fire in her. Her and her musical director got into an argument in my second day of rehearsals. And she threw a knife at him. And the knife missed him and missed me by about a foot. I looked at Alan. I put my headphones in my bag, put my backpack on and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, you know, and Patty came over you know, and apologized and everything. But, you know, um, that was my introduction to Alan, Patty LaBelle in that world. Alan and I became very, very good friends. Um, you know, which a word I don't use likely, you know, because we have a lot of associates in this business, but we have a very few true friends, you know, and Alan was, Alan to me was that true friend. Um, so we worked together. We started the company Stage One Productions back then. Um, we took out boys to men on their two largest tours, new addition on their larger tours. We not only PM and TM the tours, we also designed the shows, um, set design, and put everything together. Um, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't say enough about Alan Thompson. You know, I, I, I love him more than I more than I love my brothers. Um, 
And when I lost him, uh, I lost a huge chunk of myself. Um, but I know the way Alan was, it's like, you know, you got to, you got to move on. You got to keep going. You got to keep this going. You know, the one thing that we really took pride in was taking young cats in the business and trying to show them the business. Um, you know, giving them chances that other people wouldn't give them. And some of those people now are some of our top people in the business. You know, thank you, sir. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to say anything, but you know, it's it's kind of it was it was kind of like if you go through the school of Alan Thompson to Huggy Carter, you're, you're learning the business the correct way. Um, you know, we, we did not hold back. We put our foot in people's asses when you're wrong. And when you were right, we gave you compliments. We weren't giving you a raise, but we gave you compliments. Um, this is true. Wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Kyle, I got I to stop on that right there. And Kyle, you know I do. Because for our listeners out there, they know that Kyle likes to harp on his money every week. And, and, and again, Huggy just said he's worked with some of the biggest people, brought up some of the biggest people of the business. He's also brought up Kyle. And he's talked about giving people raises. And Kyle, I mean, we know you are with your money. So, so I mean, what do you got to say all this? Let me break this down. You can't <laughs> wear the person out who gave you the keys to success. So, again, he tells me, Huggy has mentored me on my whole, on my path out here on this road. From monies to, I even asked him, hey, Huggy, I feel like I'm not getting enough money. He said, you're not. But. <laughs> this is what it's going to be. And once you've, you know, set the, to set the, the bar for yourself and become that household name, i.e. they're calling you versus you calling them. Then that's when you can, you know, request certain, certain pay rates, you know, because they see, they, they pretty much coming to you because they just saw one of your performances and if it's for an A-lister artist, you can, you can you know, say, this is my rate, this is where I began, yada, yada, yada. But on the other hand, like when I started with him with Mary, the money was good, but I felt like I wanted more. But I can't try to get more out of the guy who's given me an opportunity. If anything else, I show him all the love in the world. And as a result of that, I get the raise that I gave with my current clients because of where my foundation became, came from. All right. And when it comes to raises, it's something I learned once again from Nicholas Caldwell. You know, with the whispers, I never thought I made enough money. And Nicholas told me one day, I would never give you a raise until you ask for one. So don't expect for me to say, I'm going to give you a raise. You got to come and ask for a raise. You know, and I said, well, I want a raise. He said, okay, good. It got me more money. So if, if you thinking that somebody's going to come and say, I'm going to give you more money, that's not going to happen until you ask for it. You know, and, and like Kyle says, once, once you've proven yourself that you deserve that raise and in your heart, you got to, you know, you got to, in your heart, you got to say, I want this and be willing to walk away from something if it's not paying you what you think you're worth. And that's important right there. A lot of people aren't willing to take that risk because they can go yes or no. And if it goes no and you have nothing else to fall back on, you've technically fixed yourself. No question. You got to be able to walk away. If you really want to stand up and make t and take that stand and prove what you're worth. And, and you got to be able to, you got to be able to walk away. Well, yeah. I mean, how much damage can the word no do to you? I'll, I'll, all it should be able to do, the, the word no should give you incentive to be able to go further. I agree. I like that word no for some reasons. I use it a lot. No is not a bad word. But, you know, I've walked away. Matt has experienced it. I mean, I walked away when I had to. And then I, I got called back, too. I've experienced it also. <laughs> so. Okay. I've been on the other side of that no, too, eh? Ha, ha, ha.
Moving on. Uh, so, Huggy, I, I love that you talk about, you know, your relationship with Alan, your relationship with Nicholas Caldwell. I mean, and you talk to yourself about the importance of mentorship. Obviously, it's been important to get you where you are. And, and it sounds like you really do pay it forward. That may or may not involve Kyle. Tell us a little more about mentorship. Um, feel free to, you know, bust on Kyle along the way. All good. No, when, when I'm, not, I'm not sure when I first met Kyle, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I might be mistaken, but I thought it was at the Gibson Theater, Amphitheater. And I think, were you mixing Shaka Khan? Well, initially, initially when I met you, we were opening up for you. I was working with Avant. Okay, that's okay. okay. It was the Gibson, though. <laughs> it definitely was a Gibson, you know. Because I remember you. Because I remember when I first met you, you said something. You were being cocky as hell, <laughs> put it this way, um, about your mix, mm. um, and and I and I and I enjoyed the hell out of your mix. That's just really good, you know. But I just he's he's got some cockiness behind him, but sometimes you got to have that. You know, you've you've got to be, if if you if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. Um, you know, so that was my my first encounter with Kyle, and after that, you know, I heard him mix a couple of other things, and, and that's what I called him for. Was Mary the first call? Yeah, yeah, I called him for Mary, um, and I I enjoyed Kyle's mix. Personally, I always thought he mixed it a little too loud, um, <laughs> you know. But you know, for for a merry audience, I would say. Um, but the mix is always clean. Um, you can always you can always sit there and pick out every instrument, you know, in his mix, and, and that's still to this day. It's you know he's done nothing but improved. Um, you know. Kyle's a great engineer, you know, but beyond that, Kyle's a great person. And to me, that's more important than his skill as an engineer, you know, because him being a great person, that means he's going to pass that along. And he's going to pass that down to the next person and give that next person a chance. Um, you know, our... our we we parted ways with Mary. It, it, it wasn't my call, and I think Kyle knows that. There was a certain individual that had some issues with Kyle that had nothing to do with his mix. Um, and I won't say that individual's name, but Kyle knows who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but but I think also that made Kyle hungry and made him go after some of the bigger things that he's doing now, you know, which we all know he's probably one of the biggest names in the industry as far as engineers. And I'm not saying, you know, and I'm not saying urban engineer or R&B, you know, one of the top engineers. Um, if I can remember, I think he just won an award as the top engineer in the industry. Is it when it was was it Parnelli Award? I think it was. Yes, sir. Um, and you know, and I, you know, when I heard about that, I felt proud. You know, because it's like we someone we got a chance, you know, and and we were recognized. Um and I, I hate to get into a racial type thing, but you know, a brother got recognized as a top engineer in the industry. And we've been looked over for so long when it comes to the technical part of this industry that, you know, when we walk into a door, as opposed to them looking at Kyle as a front of house engineer, they think he's the front of house tech with the sound company. You know, they just automatically think that. 
or venue security. Uh, our, our venue security. <laughs> you know, we 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 not we don't supposed to have the knowledge to be able to stand behind a digital console, you know, or, or whatever console, and mix a show. You know, we don't have that technical knowledge to know how to sit there and ring out a system and things like that. And they're wrong. There's a lot, a lot of capable black engineers, technicians, managers, road managers, stage managers. We just don't get the chance. And and it it, it irks me sometimes with a lot of black artists that they feel that they can't go to within their own world to find competent people. Or they don't speak up as artists saying, I want a black engineer, uh, I want a black tour manager. Um, and, and it's hard. So, so like I say, so when I see people like Kyle, you know, just progress in their career and and in life, it just makes me happy as hell, you know. Because you know, I'm looking at I, I'm I'm on that back end towards retirement, and and the more I can help anybody that comes up of color, I'm more than open. More than open. My door is always open. My phone is always on. You know, if you got a question, you never hesitate to call me. I'm not charging you a consultation fee. Call me. You know. I appreciate that. And uh, to our listeners out there, we obviously don't announce episodes too far in advance, but I think now would be the time worth pointing out that Casey and Bill Reeves with the Roadies of Colors United are actually going to be our next guest after this one. So we hope everyone will tune in for that. We can have more of that conversation. Um, but everything you're saying, Hoggy, about mentorship and about bringing people along, I mean, I'm a white guy who's worked on, in all industry, all genre over time, hip-hop, electronic, um, country, rock, pop, all of it. And, I mean, it's it's what you're saying is spot on, and there's no question that, I, I mean, as a white guy, I always feel it looking around the crew on a hip-hop tour, and I find myself saying, Jesus, why are there so many white guys on this tour? Like, why can't we diversify further? Why can't we bring out more women, more black people, more everything? And, um, you know, I appreciate where you're coming from, for sure. Well, it's funny that you, you mentioned Bill Reeves. I mean, because Bill Reeves is another person I look to as a mentor. Um, I mean, I think Bill paved the way for a lot of us to be able to get into this industry also and to be able to stay in this industry. I, I've done maybe four or five tours with Bill, you know, in the support act situation when he was doing Luther Vantros. Um, and Bill used to kick my ass, <laughs> you know, um, but I learned from it. You know, KC, you know, KC was my stage manager on several tours. I think he's one of the best stage managers in the industry. Um, very meticulous with notes. You know, I, I was able to go to KC. I was having an issue with labor cost on a tour a year prior. KC had notes from that tour on how many stage hands, how many hours they worked. And I could not believe that. You know, and what, and what they're doing with Roadies of Color is, is phenomenal. I mean, unfortunately, I missed this seminar. You know, I was overseas, but I would definitely be there for the next one. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we appreciate all that wisdom you've imparted. I, I have one question. I don't know why I've never asked this of Kyle before, because I know that separate from his front of housework he also does a little production management but looking over your resume i mean you have 
background as you've outlined for us in audio, started in the studio or you were front of house guy, you've since become production manager, tour manager. Is it me or is it, is it a strange phenomenon that there are a lot of former lighting people that go into production management, but there are not that many front of house and other audio engineers that go into production management? Well, you know, I think, I think a lot of it is also those people fall into that position, not necessarily go after that position. Um, you know, and, and audio guys, audio guys are anal, <laughs> you know. Um, a lot of times audio guys, it's all about audio period, you know, and, and, they're, and they're looking at the overall picture. Um, you know, where a lighting person, on the other hand, is, you know, standing out in front of the house and seeing the whole picture. From, from his lighting to the set design, you know, with what he's doing, having to interact with the audio engineer, um, as far as syncing sound to, you know, you know, the things that he's doing, you know, automating his console. So I think a lighting person sees a bigger picture than the audio person does. Um, and that's just, I mean, that's my take on it. You know, it's funny because I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and I've never, and I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, I think they, and I think you just said it perfectly. Audio is kind of a singular focus. It's sound. Whereas you're right. Lighting, you have to consider, you have to consider time codes coming from audio. You have to consider the music. You have to consider the video. You do have to consider more of what's happening on the stage around the stage. That's, that's, that's a good take. Kyle, you got anything to add to that? Uh, he's, that's about right. I mean, for me, the, the, well, for me, the production side of it is right now, especially in, in, in my world, I want to just focus on one thing right now. I don't want to focus between, I mean, some people like to do front of house lighting and the whole nine in production. I just want to focus on one thing because the way that I think I, especially on bigger situations that I have been asked to production manage, I can't give all my energy to one side or the other. So either I'm going to do monitor I'm in front of house or I'm a PM it, but I would prefer the front of house portion. Cause I'm still, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm ready to be a full fledged PM on certain gigs, smaller gigs I can handle, but I'm still learning. You know, and I, until I'm ready, I'm, I'm not going to put myself in that position. All right. Dallas, let me bring you into this conversation. Obviously, you are a behind-the-scenes specialist, but you also have a wide range of knowledge of tour management, production management. I mean, I'm just – we've never really gone down this, this road with an audio engineer turns PM. So do you have a, a take on, on that? I mean, yeah, sure, of course. Uh I feel the same, this basically echoing the same sentiments is that typically audio, the, the person that is, does that is a different type of character than a lighting person. And I think it's not uncommon for lighting type folks to go into the production management role because, you know, for a variety of reasons. One, they want a change or, but they want to stay on in the industry. Um, and the other is, you know, they just want more out of the show. Like they love that one element, but they see other parts that intrigue them. Right. I would say. Yeah. Well, to our listeners, hopefully you're learning a new take. I'll be curious what the next generation of audio engineers, front of house engineers and production managers think of all this. Um, with that said, Huggy, we always go into our quick hits before we let our guests go. So can tell us quickly, your first tour, what was it? Whispers. There it is. And you've had such a storied career with so many incredible artists. Do you have a favorite tour or single moment you want to tell us about? I think my, my favorite tour and artist to work with was Hiroshima. Um, 
they were just so, they're your friends next door. And that's the kind of tour it was. Um, I think my hardest tour was Prince. Um, just because he, he demanded so much, but you also learn a lot from him. Um, yeah, so I think that's, you know, my favorite was Hiroshima. Prince was probably my hardest tour. Fair enough. So this is my, always my favorite question. If there's one thing about the industry you'd like to see us do better, what is it? Diversity. I will agree with that. Succinct, to the point, and spot on. Any other wisdom you'd like to impart before we go? Well, I, I think with, with all younger people that's getting into this industry, you know, every now and then I do, semi, you know, I do a seminar uh, or I talk to some young kids. And the first thing I do, I write on the chalkboard two words, music, business. And I ask the question, which word is bigger? And, and the kids are looking at me kind of crazy. I said, well, which one has more letters? And they say business. I said, always keep that in mind. Anybody can play music. We know that today just by computers. It's about the business. It's about the numbers and the business that's going to keep you afloat in this industry. said i appreciate that we'll get you out of here on this huggy carter you've been fantastic any shout outs or parting shots for today once again thank you guys for having me kyle you know you my guy you know um this is a great this is a great platform that you guys are doing and keep it going you know just keep it going we appreciate your wisdom kyle anything out of you uh, I would say I'm glad to be back working for a couple of days. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just, you know, thank you, Huggy, for, you know, imparting, giving me so much, basically pass the baton down. You, you've given me so many gems that I impart in my day-to-day -day living and, and especially on the road. So I just thank you for, you know, looking out for a young brother when I was on the upstroke. And even to this day, you know, we still chop it up from time to time just about things that, you know, to make things better. So I appreciate your openness, your, 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 your open book, your open phone. And, you know, to many more years of that. Thank you, sir. Oh, also one last thing. Make sure everybody, I have an album up called Chillin', C-H-I-L-L-I-N, volume one. It's on iTunes, Deezer, all the rest of the platforms. Go get it. There it is. There it's it is. I love that. It's a dope album. I cool. concur. Very nice. Dallas, Any uh, anything else out of you? Go vote. Everyone must vote. Otherwise, no, nothing exciting. Sorry. <laughs> no work. <laughs> Wish I had some work. Don't have any work. <laughs> Well, well, I will say our COVID cat for this one, remember I told you last time we had a little COVID officer that didn't do nothing. This one right here, he's no joke. I mean, we got swabbed. We got our nose ran through. We were approved two hours later, and he wants everybody to sit eight feet apart. He's on. I got to take my hat off. That's awesome. Well, glad to hear it. Yes, Safety I'm first. Glad. I'm glad to hear that also. I, I'm working on an event myself that I'm flying out to L.A. for in a couple of days. First of all, it's weird just to think that I haven't been on a plane in so long. I feel like I don't even know what it means to fly anymore after living on planes for so many years. This is the changing regulations. But to your point, Kyle, to see and hear about the regulations that people are taking more and more seriously now, I'm grateful for that. And, uh, yeah, how can we appreciate you being with us? We appreciate your, your wisdom, your kind words. Uh, 
Tie a little more ribbon, but but that's all good. It's it's good to show some love here and there. We uh, we appreciate all our listeners. We appreciate everyone out there who is doing what they can to get out the vote. We appreciate those that are taking the masks seriously. We've got an election coming up. Lest anyone forgets, exactly two months from the date we are recording which means we will be within 60 days come air dates, and it is critical. Vote national, vote local, vote everywhere in all categories. It's, a, it's an important one. Your life literally depends on it. And uh, on that note, we thank you all and good.